Hey everyone, Aaron Stewart, Data Access Golf. Thanks for joining me today as we discuss this on this Data Monday, the big win by Lanto Griffin at the Houston Open. It's, it's such a cool feel-good story. So let's hop into it. Let's tee it up. Welcome to Data Access Golf, your home for rapid golf improvement. And now, from the thin air of the Rocky Mountains, next on the number one tee, your host, Aaron Stewart. Thank you so much. Welcome back, Aaron Stewart, Data Access Golf. The simulcast, where we do a video on all, on Data Mondays, we do videos so we can kind of go over the data together and see it. And we also simulcast, obviously, to our podcast um, any of you listening on the podcast that would like to see the data and whatever, just go to the Facebook page. We've got it posted up there for um, a week. I think it's going a week or two weeks, and then we move it over into our private club, the Data Access Golf Private Club, where you can see it. Always, It's always available there. Just three quick questions to get into the club. It's a place where I actually had to turn down a couple people this week trying to get into the club. Uh, because they were professional golfers. We don't allow uh, professional golfers in the private club. It's, um, it's a place where those of us who are where we're 30 and over, we've got lives that get in the way of our golf time where we can't uh, play golf every single day and uh, where we just want to make sure that we're being most efficient, you know, working on our games so we can play well. That's essentially it. There's a little welcome video there. kind of want to understand what golf means to you, and that's it. And then it's just a place where we can hang out and have a good time on Facebook um, without um, no negative Nellies, none of that it will be allowed. I will throw them all out so fast um, that they will never bug us again. So, and, and we're going to be very careful. If, if you don't fit into those categories and those questions, then you won't be approved. So I just wanted to be an open and safe place where we can talk about the techniques that are really working for us um, folks that they just have lives. And um, I guess there's just so many different ways to do it, but I think that we can learn to be super efficient and make sure that we're doing it um, the right way, right? So when we go out to play, when we find time to play, that we can play our best games, okay? So that's the whole point of it. Check us out there for sure. Uh, our, our Facebook page is Data Access Golf, and then our private group is Data Access Golf Private Club. So check us out there for sure. Um, this was an amazing tournament. Coming down the stretch, you had three Corn Ferry Tour graduates going at it, and each one of them had an amazing story. It didn't matter who of the three um, was going to win it. It was going to be an awesome, it was going to be awesome for each one of them. Um, it was actually, it's probably the way it all finished. They've probably all three, um, I don't know, have come close. They're all playing so well. I mean, Lanto Griffin, he took over the FedEx Cup points. He's been playing well, trending well this, this year, and it didn't go so well before So um, when he lost his card. But just a fascinating, wonderful, cool story of perseverance. Um, I've just heard so much about these three players that is so cool. But obviously, today is about Lanto Griffin and his big win at the uh, Houston Open. So let's dive into it. We'll look at some of the data. I'll bring up the iPad the trusty iPad, and we'll go through some of the data, and we'll talk about those compared to the benchmarks and, and wrap it up at the end and hopefully find some things that are helpful. One thing that is interesting about Alanto is some of the stats and stuff I had to find 
from the Corn Fairy Tour, but it's cool. So we'll take a look at it and see how it goes today. So let's jump down to the iPad, it's right there. So there it is, a um, little picture in picture. So I'd like to start with a quote from the big win, and there was a few of them, but uh, this kind of said it all for me. So this is gonna be a week that I'll never, never forget. Two nevers. Regardless of what happens the rest of my career, I feel very fortunate beyond words. Um, and that, you know, very fortunate beyond words, that's how else could you feel, right? And when you hear of his struggle, uh, coming up when we learn a little bit more about Lanto Griffin, um, it's just a great story. It's, it's a very cool story. Okay, so some of the things then we like to go over, I gotta get myself out of the way here. We like to go over, kind of learn about Lanto a little bit, kind of get a better feel of who he is. I, um, and I started doing this because in previous years, when I'd be watching um, golf, we'd have some of these guys that would win and then I would never know anything else about them. And they're winners on the PGA Tour and that would be like it. So I wanted to kind of run through every week and we'll, give an idea, we'll kind of get a, a little personal sketch of who they are and kind of gives us a, I, I don't know, the story of how they got there. The backstory always makes it a little easier to like this player or know this player, which I think will improve our um, enjoyment of watching PGA Tour golf. I love these, these sorts of... Um, personal stories. That's what, honestly, if I want my wife to watch golf with me, I will tell her about the leaders and their families and stuff. So see this as a personal, uh, this is a um, public service to all of you who have uh, spouses or significant others that don't like to watch golf. Give them the backstory on some of these players. Start to learn these backstories and start giving them the backstories. And it makes a huge difference. So my wife will watch golf especially if it's some of the people that she knows that I've talked about and shared their stories with. So just, just a little hint, just throwing it out there for everybody. Okay, so, so some of the things then about Lanto then, obviously, um, if you listened or read any of this, this will be sort of a review, but such a cool story and I want everybody to understand it. But um, so his father, Lanto's father, he called his parents hippies, like a lot of love, a lot of great times in the house, but not a lot of money. Like they were just barely scraping by but super happy. And that is a pretty cool thing to learn. Um, I don't know if Lanto doesn't have that lesson from his parents, if he can hold on as long as he did to, to make it on tour. Okay, and there's probably a lot of players out there, but Lanto learned to get by with very little and be happy because of it. And I, cool story too, that he, he talked about that um, and talked with his mother that if, you know, if he ever won, he was gonna buy her a Subaru. She really likes the Outback or the Forester or something like that. And so he, he uh, I heard in one of his interviews, he said, yeah, we're going shopping for a Subaru. So that's those, those kinds of things are always super cool. So anyway, so his hippie father bought him a starter set of clubs, um, even though nobody, so I, I don't know if this father just got a premonition, but nobody knew anything about golf. And yet dad bought Lanto his first set of little starter clubs, right? So... Cool thing there, and then his father, and obviously Lanto took to them, right? Because at age 12, Lanto's father died. And obviously he had been doing um, well enough in golf and trying at golf well enough that Steve Prater, right there in that third bullet point, who is a local pro in Virginia, gave him an honorary membership to the golf course. So Lanto could continue to come play. Obviously they didn't have a lot of money, and now that dad's gone, um, 
it was going to be even tougher. And so that's Steve Prater, who a lot of these guys have somebody like a Steve Prater in there, you know, in, in their story that got him along. And so this is this Steve Prater. I'd love to meet the guy. Sounds great. But he continues to mentor and be a coach, you know, to Atlanta. So a really cool story there. Just of somebody understanding a family was in a difficult situation and stepping up and doing something that's beautiful and, you know, more, more than, I mean, more than just being the right thing. It was just, it, it, it was beyond right, right? Nobody deserves a, a honorary membership anyplace, but just a cool thing to happen for sure. So that's cool. So a big shout out to Steve Prater, and I'm sure he enjoyed this win as much as anybody after watching what this, um, what Lanto's been through in his life. So, and then Lanto turned professional in 2010, played a little college golf and turned at 2010. He's currently 31 years old. So you can see over the course of nine, almost 10 years now, he's kind of worked through. He won in Uruguay, which I thought was interesting, when he was actually down playing on the Latino America Tour, the PGA Tour in 2015, and one down there. So he, he started really at the bottom and started working his way up through all the different levels of you know, PGA Tour qualifying. Um, actually missed qualifying by, we can see one stroke in 2016. So missed getting on the tour by one stroke, but again, persevered. Kept playing on the web.com or the Corn Perry Tour or whatever we're calling it right now, and kept moving along, um, which I mean, all of these guys have some kind of, there's always some kind of perseverance story behind all these guys that is, something that probably all of us should learn. When it comes to golf, and when it comes to really accomplishing anything in golf, it's about perseverance. It's about sticking with something and learning, and, and this is just another example of it. Uh, one on the Corn Ferry Tour last year, um, and in 2017, well, in 2018 and 2017, he was actually on tour last year but lost his card. And then... Um, and then, let's see, finished sixth, I think, in the regular season, uh, in the re regular season money or whatever to make it out on the PGA Tour again this year. So good stuff. Good stuff there. So what did the win do for uh, Mr. Griffin um, in world? I'm sorry, in I got those mixed up. Darn it. Let me see. Yeah, those are mixed up. So in, in the world golf rankings, he went from 176 to 108. So these are just kitty corner. So World Golf Ranking, he went from 176 to 108. But he start, at the end of 2018, he was ranked 395th in the world. Okay, all the way up to 108th now after his victory. And then as far as FedEx Cup rankings go, um, he was... Now this is totally wrong. I got something totally wrong. He has taken over... I don't know where I got these numbers, but he has taken over number one in... Uh, FedEx Cup. So he's had a really good fall and he is now ranked number one in the FedEx Cup. So I don't know why that didn't save, but it didn't save. Okay, so what does this look like then in, um, I need to just, let's see if I do that, get rid of myself for a second. Oh, I don't want to do that. What if I do this? Boom. There, there I'm gone. Okay, so um, let's look over the 2020 FedEx Cup rankings here. It shows you right there. So Lanto went from 11th all the way up to 1st. You've got Sebastian Munoz dropping down to 1. Cameron Champ stayed at 3rd. Kevin Na dropped from 2nd to 4th. Obviously took the week off. Joaquin Newman 
went from fourth to fifth. So everybody got, you got a Mark Hubbard who finished second, hung in there really well, went from 25th to seventh. Um, and you just kind of round out Harris, Pan, uh, Patrick Cantley kind of went from, wow, from seventh to 10th. So he dropped a few spots as well, as did uh, Tom. So there you go. So Lanto Griffin with a very good summer now win. I mean, a very good fall and now win takes over the number one spot in the FedEx Cup. Obviously, early in the season, this will change up as soon as the, uh, the big guns get over their um, weddings and vacations and holidays and come back and start, and start playing again. So, okay, it didn't really do a whole lot to the world golf rankings. Justin Thomas went up to number five. Uh, Patrick Cant uh, Cantlay hung tough there at number six, and then Justin Rose dropped probably from fifth to seventh. And everybody else stayed the same. We still have Tiger Woods hanging on at number ninth in the world, which I don't know. It just seems weird that he's still there when he he won the Masters, yeah, but then he really hasn't done anything. And um, I guess he did win the Tour Championship too. I just it seems weird that he's still hanging on in there where. Everybody else is playing and he isn't. And maybe that's it. I mean, they count where you play and how you finish and he hasn't been playing. So maybe that's a good way to keep your rankings up. But mm, interesting to still see Tiger Woods are there in the top nine as far as I'm concerned. All right, next slide. Um, so this is what we call our consistency rating. This obviously is where I have always just found it so confusing to try to understand where everybody fits in as far as their... Uh, their level of play, you know, how how are they on the PGA Tour? So I wanted to find a, a quick and easy way for me to sort of analyze where they fit in. And so I do this by looking at what I call their consistency rating, which is essentially the number of tournaments that they have entered into and then divided by the number of cuts they've made or vice versa. The number of cuts they made divided by the number of tournaments they've been in gives us a percentage. And then I, I ranked those percentages and gave them different categories. So you've got a legends category, which is those that make the cut over 90% of the time, an elite category from 80 to 89, a solid category 70, 79, good 60 to 69, and a card question mark means they probably aren't gonna keep their card. If they don't win, they're probably not keeping their card and they're going back down to try to requalify at the Corn Ferry Tour, right? Qualification, um, qualifier. So anyway, so if you look at um, Lanto Griffin then, he has played in 33 events and has made 18 cuts. That's a 55% consistency rating would, would put him down in the probably isn't gonna keep his card. And he didn't, right? He had to requalify to get back on the tour this year. So it, I think it holds its own right there. So some of the play, obviously Tiger Woods, now ranked number ninth in the world, um, is a legend. You've got those that are um, elite, Kepka, McElroy, DJ, Rom, Rose, Cantley, and Thomas. Cantley dropped down to 10, but still in the top 10. You've got Neiman, who won this year, and Shoffley, who's ranked number, who's ranked, uh, popped up one, right, to ninth. And then DeChambeau is still in the top 10. So I've basically stuck in here in the consistency scale, the top 10 ranked players in the world and those that have won in 2020 so far this year. The 2020 victors are in the all caps and bold. And then the top 10 are kind of to give us a, a flavor, a feel for what those categories shake out to be. So there you go. So without the win, chances were pretty good. Although he was trending real. Lanto's been playing some really good golf here in the fall. And, um, and he said, I too, in that, that interview right after he got done, he said he was just, 
he was playing to stay on tour. He was playing for a job. And I found that to be really interesting where, I mean, he played way out to the right to avoid the water, said he's a good, you know, out of the rough player, so he wasn't too worried about it. I thought that was a pretty tough two putt on the 18th hole. Um, and to make that comebacker for the big win, I, I thought it was, uh, it was an awesome way to finish. It was really cool, but it was interesting to hear him talk about wanting to keep his card, wanting to keep his job. He didn't want to go back and requalify the Corn Ferry Tour, and that was foremost on his mind when he decided to bail out on that drive. So I thought that was, um, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting for sure. Oops, they did it again. Let me see if we can do this. Oh, that's better. So I thought that was really interesting that he was so worried about keeping his card, that he was going to play it safe to keep his card. He wasn't playing to win. He was playing to keep his job. Pretty fascinating stuff. But anyway, that's where he fits in in the consistency rating. Obviously, winning this week changes things for him, right? He has, um, he's, he's, basically, he's basically picked up a, a three-year exemption. So he gets to play fully exempt for the rest of this year, and then his two-year exemption, exemption starts 2021, 2022. So essentially three full years he has got, he knows what he's going to be doing, changes his schedule. He's going to play in the Masters and the PGA. He picks up, right, a trip to Maui to play at Kapalua. Um, so pretty cool stuff for sure. Okay, moving right along. Here we go. Okay, the benchmarks. This is where we, we have a set of benchmarks set up for us to make sure that our games are tour quality and to give us uh, the ability to quickly analyze our games and where we are performing. But I like to take these and set them up against the, the, the champion every single week to kind of, I don't know, give us an idea of where their games are fitting in and that these numbers are legit. Like if, if we keep track of these numbers when we track our own games, then we can say we have tour quality games. Okay, because I will read off names of people that are performing less than this, and you'll know them. Okay, so that's what these benchmarks are all about. The, um, um, the app that we've got coming out is based on these numbers as well, and these will help you practice. So, okay, driving accuracy. So for the tournaments, we'll give you the tournament number, and then we also give you how the, what they averaged last year. Um, so on the, for the tournament number, 60%... He hit 60% with his fairways for the tournament, and he averaged 61% in 2019. Okay, so roughly the same there. Nothing really, uh, nothing really um, jumps out at you. He kind of was just an average driver for him, so nothing out of the ordinary spectacular. And um, our benchmark for hitting our fairways is 55%. So five and a half out of 10 fairways we want to hit and we could say that we're tour quality because players like Jordan Spieth, Phil Mickelson and Peter Uline, um, Uline last year did not hit over 55% of their fairways. Okay, uh, so there you go. But both green there definitely above the 55% mark. Greens in regulation um, for the tournament he was 67%. For last year 2019 he was 71% so he's actually he was actually lower greens in regulation than he was on average, which is interesting. Uh, the benchmark that we have there is 65%, and those on the PGA Tour that performed less, that hit the green less than 65% of the time were Brant Snedeker, Justin Rose, and Francisco Modenati. Okay, so those are our individuals. Again, this is tour quality stats. If your game is here, and really this is just a way for us to know that we're working on the things that we're weakest in, but also, 
let's keep very, let, let's stay realistic with how we're playing. I mean, golf isn't easy and sometimes you go out and play. I, I must say these benchmarks and things that I came up with was out of real frustration playing with some people that had absolutely no business being that upset for playing as poorly as they were because they suck. And yet they were expecting to make, you know, hit every single fairway. They were expecting to hit every single green. And it's just not realistic. Tour pros don't do that. And so that's kind of was the impetus behind setting up these benchmarks is to um, help those that care about their games practice and have something to quickly reflect upon, but also to shut up the idiots, right? They just have absolutely no idea <laughs> that golf is hard. Like somehow or another, they don't practice, they don't do anything, and they expect to make every 20-footer. It's like, it's not realistic. So anyway, that's, these, they were both set up for this. Okay, moving right along to a little segue, a little, what, detour there, but we'll get back to it. Um, Sansei, so for the tournament, 56%, which is within our, our um, benchmark of 45%, but for 2019, averaged up and down and out of the sand 42% of the time. So, aha, weakness. So that's a weakness there that we would say, hey, um, you know, you did really great for this tournament, but based on the numbers, uh, Lanto, you, you should be working on your sand game a little bit more. Okay, so there's a weakness there. There's one that we, based on the benchmarks, that's where Lanto should be hanging out. And you've got Paul Casey, Keegan Bradley, and Jonathan Vegas, who um, performed less than that. Um, so for the tournament, he averaged 5.8 strokes gain putting, which, I mean, that ain't the 14-plus that Kevin Na had last week, which was insane, right? Set a, a record. But picking up, you know, over a stroke, well, almost, and that's almost six strokes right there, right? So... Picking up, you know, 1.2, 1.3 strokes on the field every single, that's great. We're really looking for like even. Um, you know, you just want to lose any strokes to the field. So you want to be at least positive a little bit. So 5.8 for the entire week, really good. Really solid numbers there, putted well. And, and, and there, was some, there was some days, I think on, uh, I think it was on Saturday that he, was, he actually lost strokes to the field in strokes game putting, if I remember correctly. One of the days he definitely did, may have been more, but I saw one day when I was looking at the total there, pulling the total. total. Scrambling, okay, for the tournament, 67% above the 55%, and um, 2019 was 60%, so still five points above the benchmark. Um, those that performed less than, uh, up and down 55% of the time for 2019, Phil Mickelson, Jason Duffner, and Hunter Mahan, Phil Mickelson still, I can't, I mean, right? He's the wedge wizard, the, the magician with a wedge. I, I just don't see how he cannot get up and down more than 55% of the time from around the green scrambling, unless he's just always trying the hard shot because Phil gets bored easily. That, that one just seems strange to me. Um, five feet in, not enough numbers uh, on um, Lanto to get us that one, but we want to make, I've got here 80%. And, and that's just kind of, you know, what um, the benchmarks, how we go out and, and the formula that we use to figure out the benchmarks came out with 80%. But any of you that have listened to this podcast or seen um, us online know that I feel like that really should be for amateurs like us that don't have time to practice. We should be practicing five footers all the time. 
five footers and in should be what we practice 90% of the time because it takes so much stress off the rest of your game, which may be a little rusty because we don't have a lot of time to go out and work on the touch shots all the time, right? Chipping and sand and all of that. So we've got to give ourselves a 10 foot wide circle around a hole. And if we know we can make five footers all day long at 90%, so in the office, at home, on the putting green, if we've got a little time, practice the five footers, right? 90% of the time, then take a couple big lag putts, chip, sand game, whatever, but make sure that, that we are 90%. That should be a goal of ours, 90% at five footers. Because if that happens, there's so much stress off your game, everything will get better. Such a, huge, such a huge part and something that I probably talk about more than, maybe more than anything now since I went over the data and figured this out. I'm like, oh my word, we all should be doing this. If it's, if it's truly about playing as good as we possibly can um, because we don't have every day to practice, then it needs to be, we need to come up with tactics and tips and things that make it possible for us to perform at a very high level um, without the benefit of all that practice. And this is one of them. Use we should use our time to practice the five footers. Five feet and in, 90%, change your game, change your life. Uh, lower the frustration level of golf immensely, right? Nothing worse than missing a five footer or 10 of them in a row, okay? Putts per round, so um, Lanto averaged 28.7, which is below our benchmark of 29.5. Those that were above that, uh, Brandon Grace, Bubba Watson, and Corey Connors, who was a winner last year. So, okay, those are our benchmark reviews. Again, take your game, um, go ahead and, and analyze this. A lot of the apps out there will, will do this for you and then compare them to these numbers and make sure that your game is solid in those areas. And if they are below any of these benchmark numbers, that's the part of your game that needs some work. Okay, and always work on your five footers. Okay, all right, next on the money. What does the money do for Lanto? Obviously, 1.3 million bucks is a good deal, right? That's a good, that's a good check to receive, even after taxes, right? He's looking at 750K. And even after taking the Subaru out, still some good cash. Um, but let's take a look at how that all worked out. So 1.35 million was what he pulled in. His total score was 274 strokes. That averages out to um, $337,500 per day, four days of work. That's $67,500 per hour, assuming five hour rounds. So now per stroke, that's why we put the 274 in there, $4,927 per stroke. So he took some time lining up those putts, but you know, it's about five grand a putt. So take, take some time. For his career, um, $2.187 million in his total career. He's made 18 cuts, which averages out to be $121,519 per tournament, per cut made. That's what he makes, 121K. It's not bad, right? If you just think about it, if you just make the putt, I mean, you just make the cut and you take home 120 for a week's worth of work. That's not, that's not a bad living, folks, right? If you can get that, that's not a bad deal. So 30K a day, not bad. So good for Lanto. Again, really a feel good uh, victory for sure. Okay, so um, I just have down here money versus cut numbers. Tiger Woods leads the way. He, he makes $365,000 on average per cut. Rory McIlroy makes $336,000 per cut. Dustin Johnson, $289,000 per cut. 
Brooks Kepka makes what two thousand eight hundred and two thousand eight hundred and is that right? No, uh, two hundred eighty-six thousand dollars per cut. And then we've got Justin Thomas coming in there with two hundred seventy-seven thousand dollars per cut. That's good money. It doesn't matter where. Doesn't matter who you are. That's really good money. So congratulations, Talanto. Changes his life. Obviously, now he's got three years to play. For all these big checks, we would expect this, right? We would expect his career money numbers to go up and hopefully his cut numbers go up, that he starts trending in the right way and gets out of that 50th percentile. Nobody wants to be there. A couple other little cool things here. I just like to look and, and find some stuff that he did. So he finished sixth on the Corn, Corn Ferry Tour regular season standings this year, and that's how he got his card to come back and play these events and be on with the big boys and get the big victory. He earned $276,000 on the Corn Ferry Tour, which, I mean, that's a decent living, right? It used to be that, like, you had to keep your day job when you worked on the mini tours, when you played on the mini tours. But this is, I mean, sixth, and he takes home $276,000. I mean, obviously, it's not, it's not uh, PGA Tour quality money, but still, I mean, they're... It's getting to a point where these mini tours, well, at least the Corn Ferry Tour, you can make a living on that. So I think that's pretty interesting. And then he made 11 out of 16 cuts on the Corn Ferry Tour as sort of the last little bit there. And then this is new for whatever reason. I thought it was kind of fun. I'll start doing this because I always go and look to see what they're playing, what equipment they're playing. It's just interesting to me. So I figured I'm looking it up anyway. I might as well slap up a slide and take a look at what, you know, what the players are playing, what the winners are playing, and share it with all y'alls. So uh, he's playing a Titleist driver. He sees he's sponsored by Titleist there on his hat, but a 917D2 Titleist driver. Uh, Mitsubishi Kurokage a shaft, that is how you pronounce it. Um, I don't know if we, we probably say what, Kuro... KG, Kuro Cage. I don't know how we'd say it as Americans, but it's Kurokage. But anyway, uh, it, Mitsubishi is a Japanese company. So uh, Ferrowood title is TS2, 16 and a half degrees, which I thought was uh, pretty interesting. Uh, that's, you know, that's getting close to five wood status there, the 16 and a half. Um, playing with the Mitsubishi CK Pro Blue, 70 TX shaft. I don't know a whole lot of shafts. I got to be perfectly honest with you, but... Um, and I've never played a Mitsubishi shaft, as far as I know. So um, I, I look more at the clubs, I guess. But shafts are so important. Um, prob I probably should learn a little bit more about shafts. Um, anyway, irons for his utility. He's got a, um, a 510 two. I don't know if that's a two iron or two wood. It's a utility. It's probably an iron, right? A two iron utility. You know, a little thicker sort of a thing they got with a with Nippon NS Pro. A modulus tour shaft. So again, uh, there's another neat bone. So you've got all you've got all Japanese branded shafts right now. Uh, four through nine. He's also got uh, Pro Mo uh, Modus three shafts in there. X uh, X shaft. So extra stiff. Four through nine wedges. Foki. We'd expect that with the Titleist. Forty six, fifty, fifty four, and sixty. So pretty standard setup there for wedges. Very standard. Uh, I that's a good setup. That's that's the uh, that's interesting. That that's I actually um, actually not so. So he's got four degrees in between. So he's got 46, 50, 54, and then he goes six degrees to 60. So that must be just around the greens kind of a thing. Mine's set up at um, 
Yeah, I have mine set up at 48, 52, 56, and 60. So yeah, I'd be, what, is, what does everybody have their wedges set up as? I, I've got mine like perfectly spaced um, and all the same club. Like I don't, I don't mix, I, I like to keep my wedges and my irons the same, same shaft, all of that. I don't, I don't switch it up at all. And um, so does, uh, so does, um, so does Mr. Griffin. His shafts are exact same in his wedges as they are in his clubs. I, when I see that difference, I always think that's a little odd to me. But putter and SIK flow, no idea what that is. I was going to look it up before the show, and now I'm realizing that I didn't. I don't know what an, a sick flow is, but uh, sick name. Sorry, that was uncalled for. Ball, Titleist Pro V1, you'd expect that. Uh, grips, Golf Pride, Tour Velvet, full swing. I hate Tour Velvet grips. Tear your hands up, hate them absolutely hate them. Now, I play in Utah, super dry, no humidity, super easy, hate velvets, hate velvet. Um, I hate tour velvet grips. Um, have I made that clear? So, and then super stroke, 3.0 slim, uh, putter shaft. Super stroke, we haven't really talked about super stroke much, but how, I mean, that, that was an impressive, that was an impressive move. For them to come out with a set of putter grips and take it over like that, I mean, putter grips, for heaven's sakes. I mean, not a lot of technology or engineering going into them. I don't care what they tell you, it's a putter grip. Uh, you know, a few different shape, uh, shapes, some different sizes. That is a success story that I think is brilliant, for sure. Superstroke is brilliant, how they pulled that all off. So, okay, so that, I believe, that gets us done, right? Boom. Oh, no, got one more slide. So this is just uh, for educational purposes only. We've got the mass. Like, we're so far off, right? Ugh. First of April, first, first part of April. We've got the Masters April 9th to the 12th, defending uh, champion Tiger Woods, the USPGA, uh, May 14th, 17th at TPC Harding Park, California, defending champion Brooks Kepka, US Open at Winged Foot, Another storied locale, golf course, defending champion Gary Woodland. Pebble Beach, that will always be an awesome memory there for sure for all of us. And then we've got uh, the British Open, July 16th to the 19th at Royal St. George's. And man, that's off alignment there, isn't it? I don't know how that happened. Defending champion, Shane Lowry. Royal St. George's, got some good history there. Never know with the weather though, do you? Ever, never, never, never. So, I really, honestly, everybody talks that that um, that the thirteen colonies were set up because people wanted to get away from, you know, the king and the oppressive sort of lifestyle over there in England. But I, I think it was the weather. So I don't know. Shoot me. I'm not. Uh, I think that I think it was the weather. Like every time you watch the European tour and they are on you know, on the mainland in Europe, like they don't have good weather. Well, sometimes down in like Spain and things, they have some good weather, but like mainland Europe, I, I don't know what it is. It's freezing there all the time. So I, that's a tough way to go for sure. And then they get down in Dubai and they've got some really sweet stops down there but anyway so that's it for today thanks for joining me on uh data access golf a data monday congratulations to lanto what a cool story um 
those three there, I probably should do some, some profiles on both. Um, I mean, all three of them from the Corn Ferry Tour, they obviously, it was interesting to watch them cheering for one another and congratulating one another. They both went through, you know, they all went through a, a big Corn Ferry Tour grind to get where they are. And I think they all appreciate it uh, so much. And that you kind of felt like they were cheering for one another. But that didn't reduce the competitive nature of it at all. In fact, somebody on the radio the other day said something pretty funny and said it's, you know, th there's some people that are complaining about how, you know, all the players, the young players are such friends. And you see that a lot, right? Where the, a big group of them wait after a tournament victory, whatever. And, and somebody was saying that they had a problem with it. And the argument that this radio personality, and I can't remember the name was saying, was like, there's nothing better than beating your, your buddy. I mean, just beating some random dude, that's fine. But when you can trash talk and have fun and take money out of your buddy's pocket, I mean, that, that makes it even sweeter, right? That dollar just spends better when you take it out of a buddy's pocket. So I thought that was pretty interesting. But these three were cheering for each other. They obviously wanted to get in a playoff. Everybody wanted to win. But you just sensed that they understood one another's plight and were supportive. And I thought that was super cool. And I like to see that on the tour for sure. So thanks for joining me today. Aaron Stewart, Data Access Golf, where we believe better data always means better golf. Thanks. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me today. I have a little favor to ask. If you found any of this helpful or entertaining, please take a second to subscribe to our podcast or Facebook page. And please like and share using the hashtag DataAccessGolf. It would really help us get the message out and hopefully find more golfers just like us. Thanks.